strengthen them and fill them with their spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Hebrews chapter number four. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we are working our way through the book of Hebrews. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through uh, the book of Hebrews. The Hebrews is a very uh, dense book, a very uh, strong of the uh, strong word of God. It's it's the it's the meat of the word of God. Uh, there's a lot of uh, deep teaching in the book of Hebrews, and uh, tonight we find ourselves here in chapter number four, and this is actually the third sermon in chapter four. This will be the last sermon in chapter four. We'll move on to chapter five uh, next week, but I, just, I do want to remind you just kind of what we've been looking at in chapter four. If you remember, we looked at the first 11 verses of Hebrews chapter four, and we learned all about rest. We learned about the Sabbath day and how uh, Jesus is our rest, and then uh, we last week, we actually might have spent four weeks in, in, in this chapter. Last week, we looked at verses 12 and 13, and we looked at those powerful verses, of course, about the Word of God, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharpening two-edged sword. We preach through that. And then tonight we find ourselves here in uh, verse number 14. And in Hebrews chapter number 4 and uh, verse number 14 and 15 and 16, we again uh, find very powerful verses and very well-known verses, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And what we see in this passage is a theme of the high priest. And if you've been with us through the book of Hebrews, you know that one of the major themes that we've been looking at in the book of Hebrews is a theme that runs through the book, which is this, that Jesus is better. Uh, Jesus is better. And we've been seeing that. If you remember, we started in chapter 1 with Jesus is better than the prophets. If you remember uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 where it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past, and it says by the prophets, but then hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So we see that Jesus is better uh, than the prophets. And then we saw in Hebrews 1.4 that Jesus is better than the angels. Remember being made so much better than the angels in reference to Jesus. We saw in Hebrews 3.3 that Jesus is better than Moses. For this man, referring to Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And then we saw that Jesus is better than the Sabbath. For we which have believed do enter into his rest is what Hebrews 4, 3 says. So we've been looking at this theme of Jesus is better, and now we enter into this subject of the high priest, and what we're going to see is that Jesus is a better high priest. So the theme continues. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Sabbath, and he's better than any other high priest. Jesus is the greatest high priest, and that's what we see there in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest. So when it says there that we have a great high priest, the idea is that he is the greatest. He is the greater. He is better than any other high priest who ever has been. We're told that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, just by way of introduction, let me give you some thoughts regarding the high priest, and we've actually been talking a lot about this in different, in different ways 
the book of Hebrews, we, we, we're in this Bible study on Wednesday nights through the book of Hebrews, and then on Sundays, we're in a chapter-by-chapter study in the book of Numbers, and these two books have really complemented each other very well, and I didn't plan that. I mean, the Holy Spirit planned that, and we've, it's been interesting to me as a lot of the things that we've been covering, in, we're covering in Numbers are being covered in Hebrews and, 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 and vice versa. So we've actually been learning a lot about the high priest because over the last several weeks in the book of Numbers, we've been learning about the very first high priest, Aaron, who's actually mentioned here in, uh, in chapter 5 regarding the subject of the high priest. So let me just remind you a little bit about the high priest. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but let me read a couple of things for you regarding the high priest. The high priest was the head of the Israelite priesthood. You had all the different priests we've been talking about in the book of Numbers. You had the tribe of Levi, and you had the Levites, which remember they were the staff, but then you had the priests. These would be what we would kind of consider like the pastors, the spiritual authority. But even among the priests, then there was the high priest. And the high priest, of course, was Aaron. And then Aaron's eldest son, Eleazar, becomes the high priest after Aaron, and so on and so forth. And the high priest was the head of the Israelite priesthood, the supreme religious leader of the children of Israel. And because of his leadership position, one of his roles was overseeing the responsibilities of the subordinate uh, priests. Like all priests, the high priest was required to be descended from Aaron, the first high priest. But unlike other priests, the high priest wore unique priestly garments. Uh, also, only the high priest wore the Urim and the Thummim. So if you remember going through the last part of the book of Exodus or the book of Leviticus, we learn, uh, and, we'll, uh, and even in, in parts of Numbers, we learned about the high priest. And the high priest, they, they had a special outfit that they wore, and they had special things that they did. When the high priest died, if you remember this, we'll learn this in Numbers later on, uh, all those confined to the cities of refuge were accidentally, uh, who were there for accidentally causing the death of, of another person, were granted freedom. And the high priest was the intercessor between the people and God. And most importantly, and then of course, we're talking about in the Old Testament, the most important duty of the high priest was to conduct the service of the Day of Atonement every year. Only the high priest was allowed to enter into the most holy place behind the veil. The high priest had to offer a sin offering not only for the sins of the whole congregation, but also uh, for himself. So hopefully those things sound familiar to you regarding the high priest. You're kind of familiar with that because we're going to learn about Jesus as the high priest. And what we see here in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 in verses 14 through 16, is that a section begins about Jesus as a high priest, and specifically how Jesus is a better high priest. This section actually continues into chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 of Hebrews uh, 5, and we're not going to cover that tonight, but we'll cover that next week. We'll continue looking at Jesus as the high priest through verses 1 through uh, 10. But honestly, this teaching has already came up in the book of Hebrews. We've already seen Jesus mentioned as the high priest earlier in the book, and we're going to see it even after chapter 5. This is kind of intertwined through the book of Hebrews. Uh, so tonight we'll finish chapter 4, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you three reasons from these three verses as to why Jesus is a better high priest, and then next week we'll deal with verses 1 through 10 and see some additional things regarding Jesus as the high priest. So if you're taking notes, and I do encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to jot down some things. Let me quickly, as quickly as I can, give you three thoughts regarding why Jesus is a better high priest. Three things we see from this passage regarding Jesus as the high priest. Look at verse 14 again, Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. That's what we're talking about. Why is Jesus a great high priest? Why is he the greatest high priest? Why is he uh, a better high priest? Notice the first thing 
the Bible tells us is this, that is passed into the heavens. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Now, you're there in Hebrews chapter 4, and that's our text for tonight, but I'd like to just flip over just a couple of chapters in the book of Hebrews to Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to look at a lot of references within the book of Hebrews itself, and we'll look at some other ones outside of the book of Hebrews. If you're taking notes, let me give you the first point, and you can jot this down. Jesus is a better high priest, number one, because he offered his sacrifice in heaven. Because he offered his sacrifice in heaven. And when you see this little phrase there, Hebrews 4.14, and it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, the assumption that you might make, and it's not incorrect, because I believe this phrase covers more than one thing, uh, but the assumption that you might make is that it's referring to the ascension of Christ, that Christ ascended up into the heavens, that he was received of the clouds, uh, in the clouds into heaven. And that is absolutely true. Jesus did ascend into heaven, and I do think that that is a reference here that can be uh, made or an interpretation that can be made. But I don't believe that that is the primary application that is being made here when it says that Jesus was a high priest that passed into the heavens. I do think that is an application. I just don't think it's the primary application because I believe the point that is being made here is that Jesus is a better high priest. What we're looking at is why Jesus is better than Aaron. Why is Jesus better than Eleazar? Why is Jesus better than every high priest who ever lived before him, why is it that Jesus is better? And what the Bible tells us, specifically here in the book of Hebrews, is that the earthly high priest offered in an earthly tabernacle. Are you there in Hebrews 9? Look at verse 24. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ, he's our high priest, right? For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Now, what is the, the holy places is referring to the sanctuary or the tabernacle or the temple. And when it says holy places made with hands, what that is referring to is a man-made tabernacle or a man-made temple. What is that referring to? It is referring to the tabernacle that Moses built, to the temple that Solomon built to the sanctuary, to the holy place here on earth. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Notice, which, were, which are the figures of the true. See, the tabernacle that Moses built was simply a figure. It was a replica. It was symbolic of the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. In fact, later on in the book of Hebrews, we're going to learn that when God gave Moses instructions to build the tabernacle, he actually allowed him to see the tabernacle in heaven. And what Moses did was he looked at the tabernacle in heaven, and then he replicated it here on earth. And here, Hebrews 9.24 tells us that Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. Notice, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the high priest, on the day of atonement, this was the most important day of the year uh, for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. This is when the sins of the entire nation uh, were dealt with and forgiven. The high priest, uh, all throughout the year, priests 
would make sacrifices and they would do this outside of the court of the tab or outside in the court of the tabernacle or they would do it inside the tabernacle in what we would call the first section or the holy place of the tabernacle but there was a second room there was a second section which was referred to as the holy of holies and it was behind a veil and this is where the ark of the covenant resided and no one was allowed to ever go into that uh, second section except for the high priest on one day, on the Day of Atonement. He couldn't go back there whenever he wanted. On the Day of Atonement, only on the Day of Atonement, only the high priest was allowed to enter into the ark with blood from the sacrifice uh, of, of the children of Israel. He would enter into the ark, which remember the ark is a box that held certain things, uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, the manna, Aaron's rod that budded. And on the lid, on the top of that uh, box, on the lid was what was referred to as the mercy seat. This was considered the throne of God. And God would reside on that uh, ark. The idea is that the ark represented the presence of God and that mercy seat represented the throne of God. And oftentimes when Moses would enter the tabernacle and speak to God, the glory of God would descend upon that a tabernacle and that ark. And that's why it represented the presence of God. And the high priest would walk in once a year and take the blood and he would sprinkle it first for his own sins to atone for his own sins because he was a sinner and then to atone for the sins of the people. This is what the high priest did. That was great. That, that is a, a special position in the Old Testament where Aaron did that and all the high priests did. But what makes Jesus better than Aaron, better than all the other high priests, is that when Jesus performed the duty of a high priest, he did not do it in an earthly tabernacle or earthly uh, temple, but he did it in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And what we need to remember is that when Jesus died on the cross, he played the role of the Lamb. Remember John said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. But after His death, burial, and resurrection, when He resurrected, He then played the role of the high priest. And if you remember, uh, Mary tried to uh, touch Him after the resurrection, and He said, Don't touch me, I've not yet ascended unto my Father. And He still had to play that role of the high priest. He still had to take His own blood and enter into the Holy of Holies, not on earth, but in heaven, and enter on into the throne room of God and sprinkle the, His own blood, not for His own sins, because He had no sins, but sprinkle the blood for the salvation of all of us. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the Bible says. So we see that what made Jesus a better high priest is that when he offered his sacrifice, he offered it in heaven, not in an earthly tabernacle. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So we see that he offered his sacrifice in heaven. And that's what made him better than the sacrifices offered by other high priests who did it in the earthly tabernacles. But I'd like you to notice the second thing. You're there in, in the book of Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 15. I've already kind of said this, but I want you to see it now. You see, we're looking at reasons why Jesus is better. 
specifically why it is that Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a better high priest because he offered his sacrifice in heaven, not in an earthly tabernacle. A second reason that Jesus is a better high priest is because Jesus is without sin, not a sinner himself. Look at the emphasis of the passage here, Hebrews 4.15. For, the word for means because, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The way that it's worded there is worded using double negatives, but it's written in a very beautiful poetic way. It says, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What does that mean? It means that we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our, our, our infirmities. And that is a beautiful thing. And we're going to come back to that phrase uh, later on. But I want you to notice, though Jesus can be touched, and though Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, the Bible is clear, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, notice these words, yet without sin. Jesus not only offered his sacrifice in heaven, but Jesus is a better high priest because he is without sin. Go, to, go back to Hebrews chapter 9. This time look at verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. I already said this to you, but I want you to see it from the Bible. Hebrews 9 and verse 6. The Bible says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle. Remember that first section or that first room? That's what's being referred to here. The priest went always into that first tabernacle, uh, accomplishing the service of God, verse 7, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year. Notice, though, when he went in, not without blood, which he offered for himself. Why? Because he was a sinner. And for the errors of the people. So the, uh, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would have to offer a sacrifice for himself, for his own sin, and then for the sins of the people. The earthly high priest had to sacrifice for his own sins. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 15. The heavenly high priest is without his own sin. Verse 15. But we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in, notice these words, all points, all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. All points tempted like as we are, yet without sin sin. Go, go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And we need to remember that Jesus was tempted. And of course, we have the famous story in the Gospels of the temptation of Christ when Jesus was out in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and the devil appears to him and he tempts him uh, and, he, and he tells him, you know, to make these bread stone and he tells him to throw himself off the pinnacle and we go through and he, and he offers him all the kingdoms of the world and we have those temptations uh, that Jesus was tempted with and those are not the only temptations that Jesus was tempted with but that's an example of the fact that Jesus was tempted. Hebrews 2 and verse 17, look at what the Bible says. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. That is a reference to the humanity of Christ. He was made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Verse 18, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So we want to notice the fact that Jesus 
was tempted. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted, but without sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. You're there in the book of Hebrews. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verse 26. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. Hebrews 7, 26. For such an high priest, notice these words, became us. That, that's Christmas. That's a reference to humanity. He became us. The difference is, who is, here's the difference between him and us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, notice his words, separate from sinners. So though he became us, he did not become a sinner. He was separate from sinners and made it higher than the heavens. Let's, let's just run a few verses real quickly. You're there in the book of Hebrews. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're there in Hebrews, you go past the book of James into the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse 22. So we always have to remember this doctrinally. Jesus was tempted, but he was not a sinner. Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And sometimes people struggle with this, and I think the reason is because they don't really understand the word tempt or temptation. When we talk about temptation, or when the Bible talks about temptation, there are really two different definitions that are uh, ascribed to uh, the same word, which is a common thing in the Bible. Oftentimes, James talks about this. We won't, I won't have to go there. But when we think of temptation, we usually think of somebody being enticed by their own lust. The Bible even says that in the book of James, that we are drawn away of our own lust. We are enticed by our own lust. In that sense of temptation, that type of temptation is already sin because of the fact that the Bible says that even the thought of foolishness is sin. The Bible states that you can sin in your own heart and, and when you are being drawn away of your own lust. That is not the temptation that Jesus suffered. There was never a time when Jesus, like, in his heart, he wanted to do something sinful, uh, but chose not to. Because even that desire of wanting to is already a sin. But the word temptation is also used simply as uh, to be tested. For example, Abraham, we're told that God did tempt Abraham when he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac upon the altar. There was no enticement for anything sinful there, but God was testing him to see whether he would be obedient or not. And Jesus had every opportunity to sin, but he never even desired sin in his own mind and heart, but he was tempted in all points like as we are. That's what we see in the temptations of Christ. He was hungry, he'd been fasting for 40 days, and the devil shows up and says, make these stones bread. Obviously, he was hungry. He was tested, but he chose. He said, "Man shall not live by shall live by uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God." And of course, we had all these different temptations that the devil puts in front of him. So we see that Jesus was tempted, but he was without sin. And the Bible is clear about this. First Peter two. Look at verse twenty-two. First Peter two twenty-two. Notice what the Bible says: "Who did no sin?" This is referring to Jesus. Neither was guile found in his mouth. The Bible says he did no sin. 1 John 3, 5. And you know that he was manifested. You're there in 1 Peter. If you go past 2 Peter into the book of 1 John, 1 John 3, 5. 1 John 3, 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Notice, and in him is no sin. So he took away our sins, but in him is no sin. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, towards the beginning of the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 21. Now do me a favor, when you get to 2 Corinthians, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly. 2 Corinthians 5.21, notice, For he hath made him, this is referring to God the Father, he hath made him, referring to Jesus, to be sin for us, notice these words, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the Bible is clear that Jesus was tempted but was without sin. We see that uh, he is a better high priest. Why? Because he offered a, the sacrifice in heaven, not in an earthly tabernacle. We see that he's a better high priest. Why? Because the earthly high priest had to make atonement for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, but the heavenly high priest had no sins. He had to make no atonement for his own sins because he did no sin. He was without sin. He knew no sin. Yet, without sin, the Bible says. Keep your place there in 2 Corinthians 5. Go back to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter 4. Let me quickly give you the third reason. When I'm done with this third reason, I'd like to give you three applications, and then we'll finish up tonight. The first reason Jesus is, better, is a better high priest is because he offered his sacrifice in heaven. The second reason that Jesus is a better high priest is because he is without sin. And I'd like you to notice the third reason why Jesus is a better high priest. I'll just give it to you before we read the verse if you'd like to jot it down. Jesus is a better high priest because he gives unlimited access to God. He gives unlimited access to God. As opposed to the limited access that the high priest, the earthly high priest had. Notice Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore. You see that word therefore? Therefore means because of this. Because of this reason. Because of what? Because of the fact that you and I have a high priest. Remember, the book of Hebrews was written to first century Jews, to people who were Hebrew descendants. These people were saved, but they had grown up in Judaism. And for them to hear of a high priest, they would understand the high priest is the mediator. Now, we think of Jesus as the mediator because he is the mediator in the New Testament. But under the Old Testament covenant, the high priest was their mediator. The high priest was the one that represented the people before God. The high priest was the one that brought atonement and, uh, and, and, and connected God to the people. They understood that, and, and their access to God was through the high priest. But now, the writer of Hebrews is telling us, let us, therefore, because we have a high priest, because he is passed into heaven, because he is without sin, he says, let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus is a better high priest because he gives us unlimited access to God the Father, as opposed to the limited access that the earthly high priest had. Go back to Hebrews 9, just real quickly. Look at verse 6. We saw these verses already, but I want you to see them again. Hebrews 9 and verse 6. The earthly high priest was a very special position. He was the only one that had access to the mercy seat. The only one that got to walk behind that veil, who got to go behind the veil, who got to see the Ark of the Covenant, who got to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. The only human being that was allowed to do it was the high priest, the only one only on one day, the Day of Atonement. Hebrews 9, verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, the, pri the priest went always 
into the first tabernacle. So the first tabernacle, where they had the lamps, where they had the showbread, the table of showbread, where they had the, uh, uh, the different things that they did, in that first tabernacle, the Bible says the priest went always into the first tabernacle. Any priest at any time could enter into that first tabernacle, verse 7, but into the second, into the second tabernacle, into the section behind the veil, which is referred to as the most holy place or the holy of holies, went the high priest alone once every year. Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. So we see that the high priest had great access, more access than anyone else in the nation of Israel. He alone, once a year, the, all the priests could go into the tabernacle at any time, but only he could go behind the veil once a year with the blood to make atonement for himself and for the people. That was a great position. I mean, look, we just got done going through the book of Numbers, uh, not going through the book of Numbers, going through the last several chapters, 16 and 17 and 18, and we just saw that Korah was trying to get rid of Aaron and take his position. Korah was trying, Korah wanted to be the high priest. He wanted to have the fancy clothes and the youth mim and thumim and, 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 and walk in behind the veil and, and do these things. This was a, high, this was a, a position of honor. This man had access to God. Yes, limited, but he had access to God. Only he, only once a year. But the Bible tells us that my high priest and your high priest, go back to Hebrews 4.16, he's a better high priest because he gives us access unlimited. Let us there. For come boldly unto the throne of grace. By the way, this is the same reason why the Bible tells us in the Gospels that when Jesus died, the veil was rent. It was divine, uh, a, a divine tear. It, it, it was torn in half. And the idea was this, that with Jesus, with his death and sacrifice, the veil was no longer a thing. The separation was no longer there. There was no longer a need for an earthly high priest because Jesus was our heavenly high priest and he had given us access to the Father. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. If you kept your place in 2 Corinthians, remember I asked you to keep your place in 2 Corinthians. If you go from 2 Corinthians, you have the book of Galatians and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 18. See, you and I might think, well, what's the big deal? But to an Old Testament Hebrew, Israelite, to a first century Jew, this would have been a big deal. You're telling me I don't need a high priest and he's not limited to one day and is not limited to one man, but that through Jesus we can all come boldly unto the throne of grace? Ephesians 2.18. Notice what the Bible says. For through Him, that's Jesus, for through Him 
We both, in the context there in Ephesians 2, the both there is referring to Jew and Gentile. We both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Look at chapter 3 and verse 12. Ephesians, just flip over to 3 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 3 and verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. And of course, the hymn there is Jesus. The Bible says we have boldness and access with confidence to the throne of grace, to the throne of God, through the, to the mercy seat. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore come boldly. Ephesians 3.12, we just saw it. We have boldness and access with confidence. Boldness and access with confidence. What does this mean? It means that we, not, not only do we have access, but we have access with confidence. We can come in boldly. We have a right to come in. I've explained this before when I preached on this passage as, uh, to use an illustration of an office. And you can use the illustration of my office. I have an office here uh, at uh, the church building. And oftentimes people come to my office and they want to speak with me or whatever it might be. And when someone comes to my office, they usually do the appropriate thing, which is to knock. Because you don't just walk into somebody's office. You walk up to the door, you knock, you wait to be, uh, you know, to, to be let in. Just come on in. And you open the door and you walk in. That's what a normal person does. That's what you're supposed to do. But you know who doesn't do that? <laughs> Just the rudest people in this church. You know who they are? My daughters. <laughs> and my sons. You know what they do? They just barge right in. I mean, they just, it doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm studying. It doesn't matter if I'm meeting with somebody. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. They just walk up, open the door, run in. Hey, Daddy, sit on my couch. They come in boldly. They come in with confidence. They come in why? Because they have access. Why? Because it's not just the pastor's office. It's not just the boss's office. It's not just somebody's office. It's their daddy's office. And the Bible says that through Jesus Christ, God the Father became our Father. We can cry through adoption, Abba, Father. And we have access to come boldly unto the throne of grace. We can come, uh, uh, come in boldly uh, with access and with confidence. See, the high priest in the Old Testament, he came in very reverently. And I'm not saying we shouldn't come in reverently. But it was a scary thing. It was a fearful thing on the Day of Atonement. You wanted to make sure you didn't mess this up. You wanted to make sure that you'd gone through all the rituals and all the expectations. You wanted to make sure that everything was the way it was supposed to be. Because if you looked at the Ark of the Covenant and you weren't supposed to, you would die. So they had the right, they had the access, but I don't know that they were very confident. I don't know that they were very bold. They were very prob probably very timid. They were probably very cautious. They were probably very careful. They probably wanted to make sure, okay, before I cross that veil, I just need to make sure we got this right. Uh, let's make sure, right? I got the blood, okay? That was an unspotted lamb, right? Everything's working out, right? Okay, uh, uh, they probably had a deep breath. Here we go. The Bible says that you and I, 
we have access with confidence, boldness. We can come in. Why? By the faith of Him. Through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Let me give you some applications as we finish up. We've been looking at this idea of Jesus as a better high priest. Why? Because He offered His sacrifice in heaven. Jesus is a better high priest. Why? Because He is without sin. Jesus is a better high priest. Why? Because He gives us unlimited access to God. What is interesting to me is that the thing, the, the source of power, the source of access, the source that we have uh, available to us as Christians, it's probably the least used thing we do. Do you understand that at any moment I can bow my head and through the Spirit enter into the throne room of God? And there's a Heavenly Father waiting to hear from me. And yet we do so little of it. Let me give you three applications quickly. First, I'd like you to notice that Jesus advocates for us. Look at it again, verse 14, Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven. Now remember, I told you that the primary application here is that he went there to perform the duty of the high priest. But I also believe that an application here is that he ascended up into heaven and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. 1 John 2, 1, if you would. You're there in Hebrews. If you just go past James, past 1, 2 Peter, into 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John 2, 1 says this, My little children, these things have I written unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin... Look at this. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The word advocate is referring to a person who represents another person's interests. It's like a lawyer. Someone who is representing you. Someone who is arguing on your behalf. Someone who is looking out for your best interests. And the Bible says, my little children, these things write I unto you. That ye sin not. He says, I don't want you to sin, but he says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Bible tells us that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the great high priest who ascended up into heaven. And the Bible tells us that you and I have a lawyer. We have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. You understand he advocates for us. He defends us. He's there to help us. But I want you to notice, not only does Jesus advocate for us. Go back to Hebrews 4. I want you to notice that Jesus identifies with us. Look at verse 15. We focused in on the second part of this verse already, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. That is the doctrinally important section of that verse. The, well, the, the doctrinal teaching of the verse is that he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. The reason that that point is made, though, is for the application section of the verse, which is the first part of verse 15. For, because we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What does that mean? It means that Jesus touched the feelings of our infirmities. 
It means that Jesus felt what you felt. He's hurt how you hurt. He was tempted like you and I have been tempted, yet without sin. Jesus has lived what we've lived. Go, go, go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We saw this verse, but look at it again. Hebrews 2.17. Do you understand the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes we are healed? The Bible says, and the, the idea is this, that Jesus took on everything that he took from us. See, we've already seen it, and I won't take the time to, 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 to develop it even further, but the Bible says that he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. See, he didn't just take away our sins, he took our sins. Do you understand that? Every time Jesus touched someone and healed them, he took their infirmities. Every time Jesus performed a miracle, he was feeling their infirmity. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, meaning that he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Hebrews 2.17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be, notice these words, a merciful and faithful high priest. Why is he merciful? Why is he faithful in all things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for sinners of the people? Here's why, verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. For because... He himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to succor. The word means to assist, to aid, to help them that are tempted. So I want you to notice that Jesus advocates for us and Jesus identifies with us. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He uh, is not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And I want you to notice lastly that he aids us. He helps us. Look at verse 16. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. He advocates for us, he identifies with us, and then verse 16, he aids us. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace. Notice these words, that we may obtain mercy. Do you understand that? That we may obtain mercy and find grace. See, the word mercy and grace are very similar, but they're different. Mercy means to not get what I deserve. It means I deserve a punishment, and I'm not getting it. That's mercy. Grace means to get something I don't deserve. That's why salvation is by grace through faith. Grace means I get something I don't deserve. Mercy means I don't get something I do deserve. And the Bible says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace, notice these words, to help. In time of need. This is why Jesus said, the Bible says about Jesus, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You understand that? If I had a phone that I could pick up at any moment and it would go directly to the Oval Office, and I knew that every time I picked up that phone, the president, I mean the sitting president, I'm not sure that I'd want to talk to anyway, but... If I knew that any time I picked up that phone, the President of the United States of America, the most powerful man in this world at this time, would pick up that phone and want to hear what I have to say. Not only want to hear, but he'd want to advocate for me, and he'd want to aid me, and he'd want to help me. 
How many times do you think I'd pick up that phone? Probably a lot. But yet we have access to the God of the universe. We have access to the creator of the universe. We have access to God through Jesus Christ who aids us, who advocates for us, who identifies with him, with us. And we can identify with him. So I ask you, how often do you pick up that phone? Have you picked up that phone today? Have you talked with your Heavenly Father? Have you entered boldly into the throne room of God? Casting all your care upon Him. For He careth for you. What we often don't believe because of a lack of faith is this. That Jesus doesn't care. Does Jesus care? The song asks. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for myrrh and song? When the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? And as the daylight fades into deep dark shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there's no relief, though the tears flow all the day long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it ought to him? Does he see? Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long night dreary, I know my Savior let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's bow our heads in our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the access we have to the throne room of God. We can pick up a phone at any moment, symbolically speaking, not literally. It's like we could pick up a phone at any moment and have access to the God of the universe and how little, how little we take opportunity to do so. Lord, I pray you'd forgive us. I pray you'd help us to realize the wonderful high priest that we have. The amazing access. Not one man on one day, but we can come in boldly. I pray you'd help us to take advantage of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If it's all right with you, I'd like to sing this song with you. If it's okay with Brother RJ, I'd like to sing this song.